The blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast, where the podcast gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm John. And I'm Adam. And today we have another album review for you. Today we are going to be reviewing the 1991 self-titled album, Temple of the Dog. And Adam, I know that you picked this one because you have been a Temple of the Dog fan since as long as I believe we've been listening to grunge. Yes. Um, And, you know, I can't remember exactly when I discovered Temple. It was after I had kind of already known Pearl Jam and um mm-hmm. and Soundgarden and then you kind of found out that they this was basically a super group of them together yeah you know and so there's a couple songs in particular that I love but this has been an album that has kind of been in my rotation and um I I hold in high esteem as much as any um you know grunge album for me uh so let's kind of get the the basic stuff out of the way and then we'll kind of talk about why Temple of the Dog is important in the mm-hmm. background sure. of it because it, this is this is the the band's only album, mm-hmm. and so we kind of need to talk about how that whole album uh, came about. Uh, the album itself was released on April sixteenth, nineteen ninety one. It was recorded at the London Bridge Studio in Seattle, Washington, and it was produced by the band and Rick Parishar, who I think ran. Uh, he yeah he founded the studio, London Bridge mm-hmm. Studio. Um, and was known for uh, doing uh, recording services and productions on a lot of the big Seattle bands, including uh, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, uh, Blind Melon, and Dinosaur Jr. were some of his biggest nice. biggest credits. So he's probably someone who we have a lot to thank for getting the Seattle sound out to the rest of mm-hmm. us because he worked out of uh, worked out of Seattle. The personnel. On the album, Jeff Ament, uh, who was now who now I would say was from Pearl Jam, mm-hmm. uh, is the bass uh, bass plays bass guitar. Matt Cameron, the one of the reasons I decided to pursue drums at all, one of my favorite ones from the band Soundgarden, plays drums on here. Chris Cornell does lead vocals. Well, Cameron is also also was eventually go to Pearl Jam too. He he did eventually go to Pearl Jam, but yeah. I still don't think of him as sure. Pearl Jam as the Pearl Jam. I consider him the Soundgarden drummer who's playing with Pearl Jam. Okay, all right, because sure. it because it like with Pearl Jam. I mean, yes, I know he's playing with them now, but like in in their most formative years, they had a different drummer, and so that kind of helped their sure. that defined their drum sound to me. To me, Matt Cameron's sound on drums helped defines the sound of Soundgarden. Okay. To me, so I will always forever see him as Soundgarden's drummer, even though at this point he's probably been playing with Pearl Jam longer than he actually played with Soundgarden. (laughs) Probably did. Um, Chris Cornell, obviously, on lead vocals from Soundgarden. Stone Gossard, rhythm guitar. Mike McCready, lead guitar. Both of those are the guitar players from Pearl Jam. And Eddie Vedder did backing vocals and co-lead vocals on one track, and we'll kind of talk about Mm -hmm. that track. So... The background of the album, this whole thing came about due to the death of Andrew Wood, who was the lead singer of a band's Malfunction, and more importantly, Mother Love Bone, which was kind of mm-hmm. one of the first real grunge 
bands that kind of came out of the late 80s, which was kind of like bands were transitioning out yeah. of the kind of hair metal scene into a more locally grungier sound, yes. which was hear- still, it, it was kind of like, it was kind of like metal with more pop sensibilities yeah, okay. in the vocals, I would say. Yeah, it had a good blood. You can kind of hear that. You definitely hear some of that hair metal influence, like that kind of Guns N' Roses-esque sound. Right. Um, but like, yes, but they were also very much also kind of in a grunge sound, too. And uh, Mother Love Bone, uh, Jeff Ament and Stone Gossert were in Mother Love Bone. Yep. Um, and actually that album that I've, I've got a Mother Love Bone album, which is actually quite good, too. There's there's multiple songs on there that I like as well. So This whole thing started um, after the death of Andrew Wood whom Chris Cornell had been a roommate of Mm -hmm. at one point. So a lot of those guys in that whole Seattle scene really knew each other. And uh, while Cornell was on tour, he had to leave for tour, uh, he wrote a couple songs, uh, one of which was Reach Down, the other one was Say Hello to to Heaven. And it was a little bit more melodic than anything he had done with Soundgarden. So they decided to gather mm-hmm. some of the bandmates from Mother Love Bone, some of his guys together, and basically create this tribute album. While this was going on, I believe, is kind of why, how or when Pearl Jam was forming up. Yes. And so how, you know, not only how do we get, you know, obviously the guys from Mother Love Bone, but how we got Eddie Vedder in on this as well. I mean, during rehearsals for Pearl Jam, they would stop and then, like, uh, Temple of the Dog would rehearse. And so, like, mm-hmm. literally, like, Vedder would, like, who would come up to practice or try to like you know he'd, he'd uh, um, audition for the band um, for Pearl Jam like they'd be like okay he just happened to be there when when Temple of the Dog was doing their own right. rehearsal so man to be a fly on the wall during <laughs> those rehearsals it's amazing yep amazing um, so a lot of kind of grunge music ro- I would say a lot of grunge music royalty in this group it's pretty much made out of, of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, two bands I have nothing but the highest respect for. I mean, not just two of the greatest grunge bands of all time. For us, and I think for many, many people, they fit in two of the greatest rock bands of all time. (laughs) Absolutely. I I love that Pearl Jam has kind of become, and I hope you can understand this uh, equivalency, has kind of become the Grateful Dead of the grunge world because they've become more known for their live shows. Mm -hmm. They do lots of touring, which is kind of like what Grateful Dead really became known for. Their albums are okay, but it's like, it's not the same unless you went to a live show and experienced that. And I feel like Pearl Jam has kind of become that. Um, Also, they're one of the few grunge bands left with their lead singer still intact. (sighs) Man, all the Um, heroes are dying, man. Uh, with Allison Chains, we still have Jerry Cantrell, who is a big creative force and one of the lead vocalists. Mm-hmm. However, Lane Staley's unique sound really is what mm-hmm. defined the sound of early Allison Chains. From my understanding, is the guy who's with them now is really, really good. Also, Stone Temple Pilots is still touring. They have a guy now who sounds apparently exactly kind really? of like um, um, Scott Weiland. Scott Weiland. And so they actually still have a really good live hmm. show and sound. I forget what that guy's name is. I haven't seen them. Uh, obviously, Adam and I were super lucky to see Stone Temple Pilots um, live. Probably the last tour that uh, Wyland was alive, and the last probably. one where he was with Stone Temple Pilots. Yeah, but we were lucky like, enough to see that. They're just 
they're for John and I are both fans of Stone Temple Pilots. Like they're yeah. not either of our favorite grunge band, but they are up there. They're like you know yeah. probably in like a top ten. You put um, on Stone Temple Pilots, I got no issues oh, listening to whatever you're throwing up there. Absolutely, and they're one of those bands that even like the common person doesn't realize how many awesome songs they have or songs that people would legit recognize until you like listen to them. And in the concert, they're just playing hit after hit after hit. I'm just like, Oh shit. I forgot that you guys did this one. Oh right. damn. I forgot you did that one too. And it's just, they were, <laughs> they were, it was a great concert. Yeah. Super fun. Uh, all right. Well, let's swing this back around to temple of the dog. And Adam, I'm ready to listen. If you are. Uh, I got a couple more things I want to oh, yeah. jump in. Um, so, uh, so apparently when this first album released, because it was uh, produced by the band themselves and uh, by A&W Records, it was distributed. It initially only sold 70,000 copies and it failed to chart. So it did not sell very well when it was first released in 1991. But then in 1992, after Soundgarden had released Bad Motorfinger, after Pearl Jam had released 10, they effectively realized, oh shit, we've got basically a mix of those two <laughs> huge bands right now. And so they reissued, which then eventually did become um, platinum. It peaked at number five on the Billboard to, uh, 200 album charts. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't in, it wasn't the first iteration where the first time this album went out, it was after kind of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden got big that this album kind of started to get big itself. Uh, they named themselves Temple of the Dog in reference to a line in the lyrics of Mother Lovebone's song, Man of Golden Words. Hmm. Um, this was actually the very first studio recording experience for Mike McCready and Eddie Vedder. They'd never recorded oh, okay. in studio before. Um, and uh, in 2016, the album was ranked number 12 on Rolling Stone's list of 40 greatest one album wonders. Also in 2016, looks like they released a super deluxe edition that has a ton of demos, outtakes, and oh, a live, uh, a live DVD concert that they oh, did wow. in uh, various oh, different places. That's right. Yeah, they had like one concert that they put out there. I might be looking into that because that might be really yeah. cool. I'd love to see that the the DVD of that. So actually, it looks like there's a couple because they have they had one in 1990, and then oh, okay. it looks like there was there's some other performances from. 2011 and 2015 See, those might just be chris cornell i think i well actually i think chris cornell because i actually had read through just from like other wikipedia and stuff uh -huh. i think chris cornell joined pearl jam like at a concert okay and they did a couple songs together okay because i did i remember i saw chris cornell would do a solo tour yeah where he ended up playing some oh, temple of the dog stuff sure. as long as some Soundgarden stuff and actually some audio slave stuff because this was after audio slave nice so God, I mean, it would, what, a, what a great career. Fuck. Yeah. Gone way too soon. Mm -hmm. We could have had so much awesome music with him. Yep. But I'm happy to have what we had while we had it. Absolutely. And it still, it means a lot. So yeah, I am uh, I'm ready to dive into this album if you are. All right. Well, we're going to start off strong, Adam, with probably my favorite song on the whole album. Oh, okay. Fair. And that is Say Hello to Heaven. I can tell you this, from my experience, something that Chris Cornell does very, very well 
is emotion. Oh, yeah. And I think we really get it with here. One thing that I think puts this song different from anything we had heard from him from Soundgarden up until this point, I get a little bit more blues yeah, I can in see this. That. We're going into a sort of a slow triplet feel. It still feels grunge, but I, I'm feeling a little bit more blues mm-hmm. and kind of maybe a little bit of kind of the R&B with his singing style here because he's going a little bit more melodic. It's It feels very heartfelt. It's a heartfelt message letter to his friend that he lost. Yeah. And it every time it gets me every time. It you're right. I, I love that. Yeah, you're definitely getting sadness and emotion to this song. You're right. This this wouldn't this wouldn't fit with early Soundgarden at all. No. Maybe you could have pulled it off later in you yeah, know I see that. <clears throat> um but certainly not at at the time uh, it wasn't very fitting and so it it makes more sense. You're right written directly in response to Andrew Wood's death. Um, it actually hit number five on the mainstream rock chart. So this was a single, I think their second single on the album. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's a beautiful song. Um, it is up there. It's, it's going to be, it's probably my third favorite if I have to rank. Okay. Sure. But I, I love this song. And a fairly long one, almost six and yeah. a half minutes. But mm-hmm. to me, it's still, I, it doesn't feel like six and a half minutes. Like mm-hmm. it's just, it's just great. Yep. Uh, all right, let's move on. To the next one, which was the other one that he wrote on tour directly in response to Andrew Wood's death, called Reach Down. Again, I'm still hearing a lot of blues. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. This, but I will say this one feels more Soundgarden to me than the last mm-hmm. one did. Yep, I agree. Wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, I liked this one fine. I, I will kind of go ahead and say there was not a song on here that I hated, mm-hmm. um, mostly because Chris Cornell just kills it every time he's singing. So yeah. it doesn't really even matter if I'm paying attention to what he's doing. Just his voice in the background is always kind of nice to hear. It's a little long. <laughs> yeah, eleven, <laughs> eleven. Yeah, uh, but it was to me, it was fine. Yeah, I, I like this one quite a bit. It'd definitely be in my top half. Um, maybe, probably my fifth favorite. You know, yeah, 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 fourth or fifth okay. favorite. Uh, you're right. It's got a, it's got the Soundgarden feel, uh, and I do like that. Mm-hmm. Um, epic long guitar stuff. Uh, apparently, <laughs> it's like a five minute plus solo that Mike McCready just goes to ham on. Right. <laughs> just a little, probably a little too long for most people. <laughs> yeah. Good for a live concert, you know, right. makes sense, but yeah. maybe not as good for a studio song. Right. Um, but yeah, all of that has got, it's, you're right. It has got a somewhat slower, bluesier feel, but still very rooted in grunge. Um, very kind of has that and his voice and, and Cornell's voice is just wonderful. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next one, which is probably the most well-known yeah song off of this album and that is Hunger Strike but it's on the table the fire's cooking and the farm and babies and the slaves are 
It's hard for me to to describe this song as anything other than a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it it's featuring two titans of not only the grunge music scene but the rock music scene. Yep. Um, just kind of playing off of each other. It's really kind of hard once you've taken in Pearl Jam and you've taken in Soundgarden. Hearing this song, because to me, I was not really introduced to this until after I had already known Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Seeing this together was like seeing the term supergroup personified mm-hmm. in a song. Yeah. And it's it's still very well known. And probably a lot of people maybe hear it and either hear it as a Pearl Jam song or a Soundgarden song, not knowing that it was a separate thing, which is, you know, I can excuse it at least a little bit, but... It's kind of hard to describe like how big this song actually kind of was. Yeah, it uh, peaked at number four on the mainstream rock chart. Yeah, easily the best or the the best known song right. from the album, and it still gets played pretty good play on like alt rock and grunge rock stations. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so um, it gets quite a bit of that, and yeah, like for me, this is not just a favorite song on the album. This is one of my favorite songs. Period. Right. I absolutely get lost when I listen to Hunger Strike to where I I'm not even kidding. I listen to this one like five or six times in a row because I found myself almost (laughs) every time it came to the end. I was like, oh, shit. All I did was sit and listen. I forgot to write any notes. I forgot to like pay attention to other stuff. (laughs) I I, I just I just zone out when I listen to this fucking song. I love it. It it is a it's a desert island song. Like if it is a mm-hmm. hey Adam, you've got ten songs you can only listen to that fit on your tiny little iPod, and you only get ten of them, and you're gonna move to this desert island. Hunger Strike would very likely be on that list. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the the back and forth is phenomenal. Um. Yeah. You know, sometimes even I get confused. Is this Eddie? Is this Chris, right. you know, who is who, but it's because it's unless until you get in when Chris Cornell goes into the high register, there's no question. Right. But, but even when he, when he's singing kind of normally in that somewhat lower register, it's kind of like, wait a minute, is that, who is this right now? Um, but the, the, the vocals blend together real well. They actually, they harmonize really well when Eddie yeah. comes in, um, you know, kind of the chorus part. And then, you know, then, then he's got his own verse. It, it becomes a, wonderful duet between you're right two rock gods um apparently yeah as i kind of already mentioned but eddie vetter flew flew up from san diego to seattle to audition uh for pearl jam which was actually at that time called mookie blaylock right um and uh he was just sitting around during a temple of dog rehearsal and could kind of tell chris cornell was practicing this one and he couldn't get there uh and so eddie kind of just got up Right. And started singing in the parks, and Cornell was like, "Oh fuck, that's exactly what I've been wanting!" Like, and right. he just nailed it. Um, and even Eddie Vedder has, in um, different interviews, has talked about how meaningful this song has been for him because mm-hmm. it helped get him into, you know, this was this was his first recording. He's like, "This is the right. first time I was recorded." You know, I I'm ever indebted to Chris Cornell for that, and letting him come in and be a co lead vocal on this one is phenomenal. Right. And he he didn't even get the part for Pearl Jam yet, <laughs> right? Was, and he was there, of course. You know, he's turned into this amazing guy. But yeah, um, there is a music video on this one, and mm-hmm. so I watched that. It's the music video is nothing special, but right. you know, you're getting the bands. They actually didn't do the music video again until that re release. Um, so right. the bands had already kind of been established, but you get a lot of shots of Eddie Vedder kind of amongst these kind of like 
tall grasses and he's kind of just like you know in focus behind him and things like that it's just kind of i don't know it's they're at like this beach and there's this lighthouse and all this kind of stuff and the band's just playing um and i always kind of find it funny i thought to myself when i'm watching this like well those are all electric instruments none of them are plugged in like and now i'm supposed to believe that (laughs) you're getting sound but but like it doesn't matter like it's it's just a beautiful song Mm -hmm. uh i you know it it, I think it comes from a more political view from Cornell. Um, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily specifically about uh, Andrew, Andrew Wood, but it fits so well on this album because it is beautiful. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And you get this, yeah, you get the, the, the back and forth with him and Vetter or yeah. And when, yeah, when Cornell, God damn, I love Cornell's the best. He has the best rock voice of all time. I totally I, agree. I love Robert Plant. You know, you get some of that high scream, Mm-hmm. No one's screaming rock voice is better than Chris Cornell's. Yeah. Someone who can create power and still go high yeah. and still create power when he's going high. Mm-hmm. And that uh, very, very few other people can do that. And I don't know that anyone else did it any better than he did. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the next song, which I believe was the third single released off of the mm-hmm. album called Pushing Forward Back. I found this one to be okay. It was a nice, it was a nice upbeat uh, change from uh, uh, from Hunger Strike, mm-hmm. that little bit more rocking sound. Yeah. Uh, but to me, it was just kind of there. Sure, sure. Um, Eddie Vedder does come in on backing vocals a little bit just during the cor- chorus on this mm-hmm. song, but he doesn't stand out like he did in, in right. Hunger Strike. You know, it's kind of like almost I couldn't tell until I saw that he was the backing vocals. I thought it was just they they had. Uh, Cornell, Cornell do, do his own. Yeah. yeah, they just had to do his own, but they did not. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a good feel from your right. You know, after kind of like some of the slower stuff to start with, and then we're kind of getting a good harder song again. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. it yeah, it's not a most amazing song, but I like I like the grunge rockness of it. I actually almost got uh, a, almost a Alice in Chains esque feel with this song. Mm-hmm. Um, a little, definitely more than the others, but. Yeah, I, I approve of it and I liked it, but it's not, you know, not going to not going to win any awards. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. Called <coughs> Call me a dog. All right, so I I rather like this one. I mean, we bring it back down a little bit more. We let Cornell's uh, vocals really shine in mm-hmm. this one. 
I don't really have too much to add. And unfortunately, it's going to be a lot of the same for me for the rest of this, where it was like, (laughs) it was cool. It was fine, but nothing grabbed me. For me, the height of this was going to be Say Hello to Heaven and Hunger Strike, and we've already Mm -hmm. hit those. Yep. No, I gotcha. And then I would agree with that. It's the first, like, probably four tracks for me that I really liked. And then and then things kind of fall. Well, not not necessarily, actually. I'm going to take that back um, because my second favorite on the album is still yet to come. Um, Call Me a Dog was almost an insta-skip for me almost every time I listen to this album. Okay. Not because I dislike the song. I don't. And actually, if I had it on, by the end of the song, I like it because it does kind of build over a little bit. It's just right after pushing forward back, it slows down way too much for me. It's it's like yeah. a fall off a cliff when it comes to, you know, the tempo and things like that. So it just, I think, honestly, this... This, it was placed wrong on the album. Okay. I think maybe move it somewhere else and I would have liked it better. But because it was where it was at and I was just like, no, I need a little bit more, a little bit more of a step down than just, you know, going all the way down to call me a dog. So um, right. I, I don't dislike the song itself. It just would normally get passed on so I can go to like, honestly, the next two songs. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to the next one called times of trouble when the Yeah, this is one of my lesser liked okay. songs on the album. It's fine. I think I actually had a had an issue with the style of reverb they put on Cornell's voice makes him seem like he's singing in like a basement. And there's yeah. times where that works, and for some reason for me, for this time, for this song, it didn't work, and it kind of took me out of the song a little bit. Okay. Um I like this one okay. It's not a favorite but I, I honestly, I think they should have flip-flopped this one and the last one because I think it would have been a slightly better step down from Call Me a Dog. Um, yeah, I like the song just fine. I think Cornell and the song itself has a more somber note. Um, not quite haunting, uh, but mm-hmm. like kind of somewhat getting there. Uh, and then it kind of comes up into higher pitch later and a little bit more energetic. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I enjoyed this one. It um, Actually, the song itself... The, uh, was used so the demo that was used as the basis for the song by Stone Gossard ended up becoming a song called Footsteps that appeared on Ten and it was the B side to Jeremy. Okay. So they wrote this, they used this song, and they you know released this album you know, and then it really didn't get much traction, and so Gossard reused basically everything you get that <laughs> the whole song. they use the song again right. totally different lyrics because um eddie vetter wrote the lyrics for footsteps right and so it's totally different thing pretty much everything else but that was released in 10 and so and then when this one kind of got re-released it it's still it it's just kind of funny to me how you know you go back to it, it's like oh wow those i listened to both of them back to back and they obviously it is just the same basis for the song um, but yeah, I, I like it enough. This is probably middle of the road, you know, maybe mm-hmm. just under that for me. But I think the song is solid. Uh, all right. Well, let's go on to the next one called Wooden Jesus. Wooden Jesus. 
got to tell you, this song took two listens for me. The first time I heard it, I didn't like it. Okay. At all. Wow. Okay. Like, at all. I was like, oh. oh, man. The second time through, I think I got it. Okay. I think I was hung up on some of the lyrics the first time through. Because the opening one, Wooden Jesus, Where Are You From? Korea or Canada or maybe Taiwan. I'm like, God, that sounds really clunky. It's uh-huh. like a clunky rhyme scream. I don't like it. And I went back and I listened to it again. And I'm like, you know what? I do kind of like it. This is my second favorite song on the album. Okay. I love Wooden Jesus. Um, it's Now, it's not the most, it doesn't sound much like Soundgarden-y at all, really. Right. Um, much more like a lighter, poppier sound, if you will, like, you know. Um, but I, I would, you know, I would get to probably pushing forward back. I'd skip call me a dog. And sometimes I'd listen to times of trouble. Sometimes I wouldn't, I'd get to wooden Jesus and I'd be happy again. I was mm-hmm. not disliking the others, but you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's very much a take on, um, fake Christians and, right. um, I think televangelists and those kind of people, the Jerry yeah. Falwells and that kind of shit. Um, you know, where it's like, so it's like, you know, wouldn't Jesus, like, I, I, the way I'm taking it, okay, wouldn't Jesus, like this, maybe it's a, you know, wouldn't a Jesus that you kind of have with you on your right. desk, or wouldn't Jesus in like a church or something, like, where are you made from? You're made from some fucking country on the other side of the, you know, from, from some country on the other side of the world, like Korea or Canada, maybe Taiwan, that kind of thing, um, or whatever. But you're like, I just, and then it, there's even a line there from television shepherds uh, with living room sheep, like, Obviously, mm-hmm. pointing right at the televangelists that are bullshitters, right. um, and so I always like that. Um, and I'm an I'm an angry atheist. <laughs> Anything, <laughs> and maybe even as a kid, this has always been one that I've liked. Right. Uh, so maybe I always had that in me, but it's one I always appreciated. And I always like the sound. I always like. I guess it's a different sound. You get that that starts off with the drums, and right. then you got like a wood block coming in. I was like, wow, this just sounds very different than a lot of the other songs on the album. Um, and so maybe I connected with it because of that i like that um it very much reminds me of the the kind of the message of uh phil Collins, or actually would be was it phil collins or genesis might be genesis is uh jesus he knows me oh jesus which is a which is direct challenge to televangelists yeah um and this one like just kind of going over the words again like i said the first time i don't think i was really listening to the lyrics because i was like Mm -hmm. oh man that's a clunky rhyme but now having gone through it again like one that I really liked is, and it repeats a couple, or at least once, is "Can I be saved? I spent all my money on a future grave. Wouldn't Jesus? I'll cut you in on twenty percent of my future sin." That's some smart fucking writing. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. That's mm-hmm. really good. And I, 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 I'm glad I went back and listened to it again and didn't just take my first impression off of it because I agree. I think it's a really smart song. Cool. Uh, all right, let's go to the next one. Speaking of Jesus, uh, called "Your <laughs> Savior." I will say this one is kind of the opposite where the words really didn't do much for me, but the groove was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think they even kind of mixed the, the, the lyrics 
and the singing blended more into the music in this one than it did right. with Wooden Jesus. Yes. So, so I feel uh, like the the lyrics were like less important so much as it kind of just Cornell singing, but the the feel of it it's a little bit more upbeat. I really did enjoy listening to this one. Yeah, I, I agree that the the music I think is more important in this one. Um, you know, the lines "Don't give me your savior, savior." I take that obviously. Don't push your religion on me. Right. Um, that kind of thing. I think it's probably why they put it beside beside with Wooden Jesus. Um, but yeah, there's a good rock feel to this one. There's a, a solid rock solo guitar um, about two thirds into the song as well. Uh, so yeah, overall, it just has a good good grunge rock song. Uh, all right, let's go to the next one called Four Walled World." This one has a very, uh, I almost said Leonard Skinner, Led Zeppelin Zepp- yes, it does. feel to it. I felt the same way. Um, what so. is the, oh, there's a, like, it, it, it almost sounded exactly like a Led Zeppelin song, and I'm trying to think of the name of the song. Dazed and Confused. The song oh, okay. Dazed yeah, and Confused by yes. Led Zeppelin. I've been dazed yes. and confused for so long. I, I'm horrible at singing it. It had that same feel at the beginning. I'm like, oh, this does sound like a direct, not necessarily a ripoff, but a deck homage to that but even if it wasn't like i definitely got those kind of strong led or like led zeppelin vibes with it but with chris cornell's yeah. almost sensibility i guess i agree with that I, and i think yeah, there's multiple connections to kind of make without dazed and confused obviously there's kind of like a drug aspect with that one mm-hmm. um and then i feel four walled world with this song uh you get obviously a four walled world is kind of like a homage to like a prison Mm-hmm. And I felt what Cornell was writing about was the prison uh, or meta- metaphorical prison. And I think he's alluding to heroin okay. um, in this song um, that is that is his prison, basically. Right. And was Andrew Woods prison and the cause of his death. Exactly. Um, so I think it'd be fitting um, for this album for that. Yeah, the song, it's, it's longer, but there's good, I feel, emotional depth with this one. And mm-hmm. I think it's a really good connection to Days and Confused. And I, I like that. So Okay, cool. Uh, All right, and that brings us to our final song of the album called All Night Thing. say i really didn't like this song yeah and not one of my favorites either i liked the fact that we're getting an organ in this one so we're, mm-hmm. it's changed it up a little bit 
But honestly, some of the melodic material that he's using, I feel like I've already heard it. Mm. I feel like I'm getting a repeat of things he's already done, and it's just kind of like a filler song. Yeah, I I almost never would really listen to this one. I don't again don't dislike it. Love Chris Cornell's voice. Right. Um, the song is fine, but it's just not. It ends on a slow note, and for this band, I don't really want to end on a slow note. You know. Right. Um, and it's fine. It's a totally fine song. But yeah, I'm with you. It's just not one not one I'm grooving on. Um. All right. Well, let's kind of dive into final thoughts. I'll go ahead and jump on mine. Without exception, I could listen to the album without problem. I love Cornell's voice. Um, it's definitely a little bit of a more rough recording. Everything's not quite as well produced, but you can kind of see this is before both bands really took off. This was a side project. This was just something, it was like kind of like a passion project for them, for their friend. So I can kind of see, I can understand that and I can see why. Um, I, I think I got a couple of other good songs off of having heard this one other than just the two hits I was already familiar with. I think ultimately I'm not really going to go back and listen to the whole album. I'm still going to kind of pick out the ones. I'll just add another one or two to my rotation because Say Hello to Heaven, Hunger Strike were already in my grunge rotations because they're great songs. Mm-hmm. Um, not, in, not just good songs, great songs. Um, and to to have two great songs out of an, out of an album is already rare enough as it is. So... I'm not necessarily surprised I'm not going to be able to pull some more than ones out of this. Um, I will say, I think Wooden Jesus is going to get pulled in my rotation. Hey. I think I really like, I think I... Nice, I'm glad I, you it, revisited I think it's growing one. on me more and more every time I've, I've listened to it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, this was a really good album. Um, I'd never really listened to it all the way through, so I'm glad you threw it on there because it was nice. Obviously, I knew who Temple of the Dog was. I knew the story of it, why it, it happened. Um, but I never dived into the whole album itself. And it's, uh, I think it's an important part of not only grunge music history, but rock music history to go through. And I'm, and I'm glad we went through it. Uh, and I'm with you, and at least on the aspect that I can absolutely listen to this album. And I do listen to this album, um, you know, somewhat regularly at least. Uh, so there are the two songs my least favorites are All Night Thing and Call Me a Dog. Um, and if I skip them, I skip them. Um, if not, I'm not upset, you know, mm-hmm. at all. But every other song you know it does it does feel like they're you know every album doesn't need to be a greatest hits album you don't right. have to have a of banger course. on every of single course. thing there's something to say be said about some good filler and i think some of these songs i really i really like and i still do quite enjoy um and then listening to this one not even just with hunger strike man pretty often i found myself just zoning out and just enjoying the listen mm-hmm. like this is an album i just i really liked and i and i was like not thinking about like, all right, well, what are my aspects of, you know, what am I liking about this or make sure I look, look up the meaning of that or et cetera, et cetera. It's just a damn good rock album. Um, and I, I love it. I mean, it's two of my all time favorite bands period. And they're together for a very emotional cause for them. And it's just, um, it gets, and you see some of that emotion, you hear some of that emotion in some of these songs that mm-hmm. you may not have gotten in like the hard going, um, Pearl, uh, Soundgarden at the time or even you know in Pearl Jam sound so I think it's wonderful you know Chris Cornell is unmatched you know with his with his rock singing and you get Eddie Vedder who I think is a great rock singer in his own right and then you know just a wonderful wonderful sound that they 
come together for in general, not just them, but the band as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll always love Temple of the Dog. All right. Well, that was our review of the self-titled album, Temple of the Dog. Please join us next time as we break down the 1975 animated film, Ricky Ticky Tavi, discuss the animated classic, The Bullwinkle Show, and cast the comic book, Green Arrow, Year One. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke.